presented by Ridley. Now and not yet. Hi, welcome to the Now and the Not Yet. The show that keeps you plugged in with Bible and theology. I'm Mike Bird. And I'm Scott Harrower. And today we're talking about the kingdom of God. Scott, what are your top three things you're looking forward to in the kingdom of God in all of its fullness? I think seeing God face to face, Mike. That's my top top one. How about yourself? Do you have have two others? I've got two others, but I'm pretty keen to hear yours. Yep. Oh, for me, well, top three, number one, no coffee. Uh, Number two, uh, no AFL. Okay. Uh, So it sounds like the kingdom of privation. So like all the things that are not there. How about a positive one? All the things I don't like about Melbourne. Uh, (laughs) Number three, I would have to say um, complete and utter intimacy with Christ and all the saints that have come before us. Okay. That sounds like two in one, but okay. But, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to for the kingdom of God. Okay, uh, so for me, hmm? seeing God face to face, Yep, that, that's in the Bible. So you get that one, seeing God face to face. I think the glorified images of God with spiritual bodies are going to be involved in terraforming in in the kingdom of God. So we're going to be... Like, like create- Roblox. Like- no, 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 man. Like, have you read... Uh, Sci-fi, it's from there. It, okay. so we're going to be involved in doing the work of like that we were supposed to do in the Garden of Eden, but on a planetary level. So we're going to be like developing planets, tilling the earth, like forming animals, naming them, generating new spirits. But but we're going to be doing it like on a higher level. Like we're we're above the angels in in this scenario. It sounds like eschatological and, Minecraft. Yeah, yeah, basically, basically. Okay. So like okay, fully using those like massive functions. Yep. After seeing God face to face and then I th- I think watching the angels is going to be amazing. Yeah. Like like archangels and angels and like how they how they move and communicate and and how we perceive them. You, you know, in it's heaven we, we actually we actually outrank the angels. Yeah, I know. It'd be like, hey, hey, Michael, get me a sandwich. <laughs> I want a sandwich, man. And this so. time, make sure you get the French mustard, not I the think Dijon. You need to be really careful, Michael. Bird. <laughs> I'm just yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, we will, we because we will sit in judgment of the angels. Yeah, that's, exactly, that's in exactly. The Bible. Yes. So yeah, okay. Well, that's 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 our you know. Uh, thinking of the kingdom of God, but but the, it's not like that now though. No, it's because we're in the not yet. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Now, not yet. Yeah, you see where we're it? coming from. Yes, kingdom of God. Uh, but when when we think of the kingdom of God, there's different ways of thinking about it. Do you think of the kingdom of God as the equivalent to simply God's saving power and salvation? Do we think of the God as uh, the equivalent to the church? Right. You know, like a, a people ruled by a king, you know. Mm-hmm. Do we think of the church as just a future place? So it's like the, the heavenly state, the new creation. Um, or is it something like more like the dynamic reign of God? Is it even equivalent to social justice? You know, uh, can, can we build the kingdom on earth by our own efforts? You know, there, there, are, there are different schemes of theology that tend to lean in that direction. Yeah. So in the 90s onward, there was a big movement to basically baptise everything baby boomers did as equals kingdom work. So yeah. you're an architect, oh, you're building the kingdom of God. You're, I don't know, 
building something helpful in terms of human resources in your company, that is the kingdom of God. And somehow that's going to be like, it's going to echo in eternity forever. I mean, that sounds more like the Gladiator movie than anything else to me. It does. Um, So, yeah, basically the kingdom of God got collapsed with whatever you were doing. And that's really unhelpful because it's not that. Is that that because we didn't have a theology of work and we just kind of, you know, grabbed it all and stuffed it in a little box called the kingdom of God. I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah, because on the one hand, I would, I, I would want to talk about the heavenly good of earthly work. The you heavenly know. good of earthly work. Please, please unpack that. Okay, that means what we do now echoes in eternity. Oh, <laughs> no, what I mean is, um, you know, work at one level, you can say it's like part of the fall. But work is also something how we care and cultivate creation, how we work in human civilizations, how we create um, spaces, places and means for human survival and human flourishing. Yeah. And these are good things we do as mm. image bearers. Yeah. So there, there, there is something good about our labours. Uh, but I, I, I don't want to say all our labours are directly building the kingdom of earth, whether you're an architect or a cleaner or a policeman or a you know radiologist. I think we can talk about uh, Christian virtue in all of our work. Yeah. But I don't know when I, I want to collapse every vocation into the kingdom. And this is where I really do like a distinction that Tom Wright makes. He says uh, by, you know, whatever we're doing, whether we're doing ministry or maybe, maybe some other things, he says rather than talk about building the kingdom because he says, you know, God alone builds the kingdom. Yeah. He says we build for the kingdom. So, you know, we, we, we kind of prepare the way a bit, uh, point ahead to what will be the divine work of God in establishing the kingdom in all its fullness. So which means even our best of labours in ministry, whatever they are, there's always still a not yet element to yeah. them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't we shouldn't really fully identify the fullness of our Christian ministries with the kingdom of God. Right. Okay. So in a sense you're saying our uh, good works that we may do on earth and the impact they might have in terms of building righteousness to situations, they serve as signs and symbols of what's going to come. Yes, I think that I think that is. I think these are more of. Um, I mean, this would be Tom Wright's language. He would talk about signposts, right? Yep. You know, pointing ahead to that which is to come. Mm. Uh, now, that doesn't mean things like uh, Christian ministry. Uh, evangelism, even even social justice. I mean, if you look at the Nazareth Manifesto in Luke four, I mean, where Jesus says, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to, you know, preach good news to poor, poor you know, um, bring sight up, to the blind, yeah. yes, set the captives free, yeah. you know. So, and that's related to his kingdom work. And you could say we do kind of extend that, but it's 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 an extension insofar as the preparation for what will be the final release of all the captives, the final healing. Of all creation. Okay. Yeah. So that that's where I, I tend to think of it. That there, there is the danger of having not enough now in your kingdom eschatology. That it's all just in the future. Yeah. But there's also the big danger of of um of not of not having enough not yet. And c- certain certain theologies of victory, mm. you know, that celebrate now we've got all the power, now we've got all the triumph, now we've got healing, and we've got authority and all that. Some of those are. Uh, theologies that emphasize more of the now of the kingdom, 
I think can leave in some unhealthy directions, uh, particularly when that kind of over-realized eschatology gets married to a kind of political theology. Right. And I've seen yeah. that. I, I mean, I saw some right-wing American Christian group and they said something like, I'm not joking, the church is God's authority to rule the earth. The church is God's authority to rule the earth. In other words... So it's a theocracy and we run the yeah, franchises? World, world domination. That's the church's vocation. Okay, right. That okay. And, I mean, that is that never ends well. <laughs> no, so Paul in Romans 14, 17 says, says the kingdom is basically righteousness peace and joy in the spirit. Yep. Righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit. Can we say that wherever we are acting as channels to bring righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit, that, that whatever we're doing may be identified with the beginnings of the kingdom of God at least? Yeah, I think it's a preparation for the kingdom yeah. where, where, you, where, where you bring those sort of things in Christ's name, not, not just making people joyous. I mean, you know. Atheists can comedians can make people joyous yeah. at silly jokes. But are but, they are they three criteria that are helpful? Righteousness, well, I, peace, joy in the spirit? I think that's a good place to start. And certainly if, as to what the kingdom looks like insofar it exists amongst church communities now, that's three pretty good metrics to go by. But hey, in the comments we'd love to hear about your thoughts about the kingdom of God. I mean, what is it? What isn't it? And uh where do you hear about the kingdom in, in, in your church or in your work? I mean, how do you think about the kingdom of God? Hi, friends. Hope you're enjoying the show. And if you are enjoying it, hit that subscribe button. And don't forget to share with your friends if you think they'll enjoy it too. And especially leave a comment or question. We'd love to hear from you. So, Mike, last year we got a lot of feedback about our segment on Aussie theology. People want to know what is distinctive about Australian Christian theology. We've got some pretty strong ideas, but let's open it up with you know you're Australian when? When you think it's normal to have Christmas in 40 degrees Celsius heat. Yes, absolutely. You're Australian if that is normal. I think you're also Australian if the thought of putting Vegemite on your pancakes is a perfectly normal and natural thought. Uh, you know you're Australian if you see a cane toad and you think, I wonder how high I could kick it. <laughs> yes. Maybe that's more of a Queensland thing. I don't yeah, know. I think so. FYI, not endorsing that, but the thought may come to the mind. Just saying. Um, so you know you're, Austra you're an Australian theologian when... When you bemoan the Americanization of your own church's theology. <laughs> Darn the Pax Americana. Uh, no, I, th I think you know you're an Australian theologian if you're conscious of the fact that you live uh, as part of the British Empire. You're conscious of the fact you sit at the intersection of Asian countries and largely Anglo-American culture. And, and Pacific? And the Pacific, yep. And you're conscious of the fact um, that you live in a culture that values certain things. Yeah. Now, Australian Australians value certain things like mateship. Yeah. You know, looking after your mates. 
Okay, very yeah. important. So theologically, I think that plays out in terms of a premium on righteousness in terms right. of ethics. Well, I would say it's the Australian version of love of neighbour. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Love of definitely. neighbour, look after, look after yeah. your mates. Yeah, and it, but in terms of how it plays out in theology, mm-hmm. I think it, it lends itself to what we were saying before about the kingdom of God, kingdom of righteousness, peace and, spirit, and joy in the spirit. For me, that link with righteousness fits in really nicely with Aussie mateship, and, yep. and doing the right thing by one another. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we get you, that. Yeah, you don't you don't do the dirty on your mates. No, you no, don't no, go no. jack on your mates. Yeah, so it That's makes sense important. for us that righteousness is part of the spirit of the kingdom of God instinctively. Like that's yep. not a problem. Uh, I think Australians are also very egalitarian. Okay. Uh, I mean that not in like the you know male female ministry thing, but generally we're more egalitarian. So how does that play out in theology, for example? Well, I know it plays out in theological education because when I go to America, American graduate students kind of treat me as Professor Mike Bird, <laughs> like I'm the greatest author. It's like but they, they respect you over there. They respect me. Like oh, it's like oh my gosh, you're even more beautiful than New Jackman, you know, or words to that effect. Uh, whereas here, it's like oh, Mike, Mike, you're. Yeah. Write a new book, did you, Mike? Yeah. Bet you think you're pretty smart, don't you? Yeah, you exactly. know, it's so tall poppy like, syndrome. But a, little, oh, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, but Australians don't fawn over kind of like, you know, celebrities and people. We, 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 we don't do that, which I think is good because um, I think there are certain unhealthy uh, leadership things which you're more likely to get in Christian circles in America. Yeah. Less so in Australia. I think, I think we are less inclined for celebrity culture. Yeah. It doesn't mean we don't have it at all, but I think we're less inclined to do it. The other thing I, I like about Australia, and this is, I think this dovetails with the righteousness thing, uh, one thing that makes sense in Australia is the idea of a fair go for everyone. Because yeah. I remember when I was in the Australian Arm in the early 1990s, and it could be horribly misogynistic, uh, very homophobic. In fact, I'd, I'd even witnessed um, homophobic assaults against gay people by some of my colleagues. And I had to like grab two guys so they would just like leave a gay couple alone. And they tried to change the culture of that. And their motto was a fair go for everyone. Yeah, yeah. And that was the Australian way to bring equality, fairness, and a lack of harassment, a lack of prejudice um, in it. Because these are, you know, know, men with sort of high-caliber... testosterone, masculinity, but not a lot of manners, if you know what I mean. And this is one way of trying to turn it around. So I think those are the elements of Australian identity and they can feed into our own local theologies, our own cultures of church and being a Christian. So uh, what do you reckon of this? I reckon that because we are into a level playing field, so we we chop each other down with the tall poppy syndrome and we go for a fair go, I wonder whether that's reflected in the fact that if, if you look at most Australian, New Zealand theologians that you know, yep. they'll all have a high view of the image of God in everybody and that we are the image of God together, which which I think when I read Australian and New Zealand theology, I think we have a, a higher view of our anthropology together than what you find in the the understanding of human beings elsewhere and we also are very big on the sin of pride yeah a lot of aussie theologians they pick up on augustine's understanding of pride as the first and major sin um whereas i don't see people from other countries picking up on it as strongly yeah so i reckon there's real ways in which our culture um influences what our theological 
um, biases are in a sense, but yep. there's ways in which it's really healthy. Yep. Strong image of God, anti-pride, for example. Yeah, I think also that Australia and New Zealand have both had to wrestle with the uh, the effect of the British colonisation on their countries and for that, what that means for the Indigenous peoples. Yep. And this is why you know, very early on uh, the church became amongst the leading advocates for the uh, Indigenous peoples of Australia. And like, you know, what, what, we, what we call NADOC week, you know, yeah. actually began as the church's week of prayer and action for um, Indigenous peoples. Mm. And, you know, so the, the whole sort of idea we should advocate on behalf of these people who have been, uh, you know, killed, displaced and, you know, all sorts of horrible things have happened to them, uh, that the church had to wrestle very quickly with the idea of the image of God yeah. in all human beings. And they were doing that in the 20th, in the earlier 20th century where you had the exact opposite, where you had things like eugenics, yeah. where the idea that there is competition between the races and some people are more human than others. And, you know, I mean, that comes back from the late 19th century. It was kind of the application of Darwinianism in a philosophical way that tried to show a competition. This is what the, this is what the Nazis were obviously doing, yeah, but, sure. but it wasn't just them. No. This, was, this was very, very commonplace in the whole pseudoscience of eugenics. Mm. The church is one of the leading forces resisting that ideology mm. that says, uh, no, all human beings are in the image of God and you can't go around dividing people based on race or your pseudo... Um, mapping of where each group comes from and saying one group is ultimately uh, more designed or more uh, equipped to rule over others. Yeah. Uh, I think Australians, I think, would never really go. I mean, we've got our own racial issues and ethnic um, topics, but I think Australians would never really go for the uh, superiority of one ethnic group no, as being, as being the ultimate. So. Yeah, I, I just don't think that sits well, no. certainly not in the post-war years as, you know, since the end of, well, we did have the White Australia policy. Uh, but I think in the multicultural era, I think um, yeah, that does not sit well. And we, we are, we are uh, the most successful multicultural story around the world. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, not perfect by any stretch, but with one of the best examples. And it plays out in our, like the, the value that we place on a healthcare system that, that yep. cares for all. Like you and I are actually happy to pay higher taxes yeah. to make sure that our neighbours okay. Like that's just normal, it's, it's, and, and instinctive. For us, it is self-evident to us. <laughs> like, like absolutely. Yeah, but I'll it pay picks a bit up. Of, yeah, but uh, yeah, 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 we, yeah. But that's uh, where we go. So that's a little bit about Australian identity. What makes us uh, unique? Um, so that's that's some general ideas. I want to talk about the the darker side, in a sense. Yep. Uh, that that of life that I think that Australians handle uniquely and very well. Yep. So I think that because of like our nature, we're always on fire or on flood, mm. right? Um, it's a tough place to live. Yep. Also the kind of bugs and creepy crawlies we have make life difficult. Yep. Um, so we've had to reckon with the fact that things don't always work out. Um, people die young, they get injured young. Uh, really bad things happen. Yep. So it means that as well as perhaps appreciating the beauty of the land and how God may be behind it, appreciating kind of our fellowship as human beings, we also have to reckon with really dark, hard things. Yep. And that's one reason why I think that Nick Cave, the musician, is one of Australia's kind of most insightful uh, philosophical theologian, as I, was, as I would put it. He's someone who musically and poetically has been has had to reckon personally and more largely with 
why it is that we struggle so much and we are impacted by death so much, yet on the other hand we have this Christian heritage that speaks of Jesus as bringing in the kingdom of God. And what Nick does throughout his life is he's super impressed by Jesus and his apocalypticism and the kingdom of God, but Nick's also trying to wrestle with how Jesus is related to our struggles. So there's this great book, Faith, Hope and Carnage, of it's classic Aussie stuff, right? It should be faith, hope and love, but it's faith, hope and carnage, okay? He's an Australian philosopher, theologian. It's very very abrupt, very confronting, very, yeah, yeah, very yeah, yeah, straight absolutely. up in your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how does carnage fit into what Jesus and the kingdom of God is about? And so I I really endorse Nick and and promote him as someone who's an Australian that we we should support and get around and and bounce off as a theologian. I don't think he's got everything right. I think he could draw closer to God and, and I'd lo- love to see that in his life come closer to God, the Trinity, but, but he's very near the kingdom. And I think he's a good example of just being honest about life's difficult questions but, but making sure that you keep Jesus and the kingdom of God in the picture. So this is a compilation of some very difficult conversations and experiences that he's had to digest over the last mm. few years that he writes about. And there's an Aussie honesty, Mike, that I absolutely love in his work. And I think that that dealing with the hard things is a hallmark of Aussie theology. Yeah. Well, there we go. Scott, our beloved queen, has passed away. Oh, why do you say sad things? Uh, that makes Lizzie, me sad. Lizzie. We miss you, princess. Do you know I used to stand for her Christmas message every year, my friend? And rightly so. Yeah. And no. a glass of sherry at the end to toast the health well, I wouldn't do of, that, our, but of our regent. I loved her. I oh, thought she was just fabulous. I, I I could not imagine life without her. She was she was just a fixture, kind of like the sun used to assume, assume it's always going to be there, but alas. Our Lizzie has put off this mortal coil. Yeah. And we're going to have uh, King Chucky, King Charles III. Uh, not everyone's a fan of him. No. He does like to talk to trees. Uh, it's got a few family issues as well. He sure does. Yeah, he does. But besides that, this is the time when people are discussing should Australia transition from being a constitutional monarchy to becoming a republic. So what are you into? You Are you into, you know, God save the king or long live the republic? I'm into the kingdom of God, so God save the king. God save the king. Absolutely. Yes. I, yeah. um, I have to say, being the somewhat radical left-wing Marxist oh, I am. Oh, please. I do have a natural inclination towards a republic. I, do I mean, you? No, no, let, let, let me finish. I have a natural inclination towards a republic. I think the head of the Australian state should be an Australian. That said, uh, the Australian Republicans are the single thing that puts me off the republic because when I look <laughs> who are the people who are doing, uh, who are heading up the republic movement, like the journalist, you know, Peter, Peter Fitzsimmons, um, yeah, the guy with the pirate, you know, scarf on his head all the time. Um, they remind me of the Spanish Republicans. They kind of want a new republic that will be virulently anti-religious. Yeah. And that kind of scares me mm. off the republic. I, I think our constitutional monarchy, while maybe it needs to be updated for the 21st century since it was pretty much written in the 19th century, mm. maybe we need to update a few things. Uh, 
but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the constitutional um, monarchy. And I like the idea that the people who actually run the country are not the ultimate heads. Because I like the idea that you can be prime minister, but you don't get to be almighty. That's right. You don't get to be a dictator. Exactly. That, and that's because if things go pear-shaped, in theory, you can be removed. Yeah, and that's happened, happened. in yep. 974, yep. the dismissal. Uh, Gough Whitlam had a choice, either call an election or change his legislation, and he wouldn't do it. And so he was relieved of his duties, yeah. and then he got smashed when they did have a, a, a federal election. So, yeah, I, I'm a... Because of the nature of the Republicans themselves, I'm actually pretty keen on a constitutional monarchy and uh, I, I think we should proceed because I think it's a system that's given us the pluralistic, inclusive, fair-go country that we are. Yeah, and you've got checks and balances. Exactly. You've got two houses of parliament. Yeah, I, I definitely like the idea of of um, maintaining a constitutional monarchy unless there is a much better Republican model that comes along and it's run by people who I don't think want to burn down every church, mosque, and synagogue. Mm. Until then, I'm sticking with the I'm sticking with the king. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about political change. Yep. So do we have another prime Edmund- minister? I don't know. <laughs> I suppose it is lunchtime. We're probably due for one. Um, Edmund Burke, great figure from the 1700s. Oh, indeed, indeed. He writes as an and worked as an outsider. He was an Irishman working in Parliament in England. Yep. He was a Christian and he had to manage change in terms of tyrannical rule by, say, corporations in India at the time. The English in Ireland. The English in Ireland. Yep. He had to deal with the American Revolution and Mm -hmm. the French Revolution. So his big question was, how do we go about changing or fixing or updating systems? Yep. And his big idea was you need to recognise the spirit of tyranny when it's there. Yep. But you have to recognise the spirit of a healthy empire or a spirit of a healthily organised people where it's there. And you need to bring change towards well-run systems slowly and thoughtfully. So he appreciated some things about the American Revolution. It was fair enough on many grounds and change had to be brought around slowly. But when he wrote on the revolution in France, his reflections on the revolution in France, he was scathing because it was violent and it seemed that pretty much you could do whatever you wanted in the name of change. So he said basically you need to look at what works in history not change too quickly, and how do you decide, well, what have been the good traditions that have anchored your society? Family, supporting local business, making sure that uh, tyrannical powers of business don't take over local precincts, for example. So if you keep the local healthy, then trade will happen. But you need to support the basic traditions that keep your society So you need to support the the fundamental institutions of human life in commerce, family, religion, government, and and avoid excessive power in each. But some people might say uh, that just a a license for the status quo and it means change will happen at a glacial pace. That is the critique. That is the critique. critique. But then, of course, you've got the others who want to, um, I would say like Marxism, uh, is simultaneously too Christian and not Christian enough. 
What do you mean? Uh, it's too Christian in the sense that it believes it can immunitize the eschaton. It says just one big violent purge and we're having on heaven on earth. Right. But that's, that's, so that's where it's too Christian. Where it's not uh, Christian enough, it says total depravity only happens in the capitalists. It's only in us. We don't have any depravity. We're good. We're nice guys. We're on, we're on the right team. There's no depravity in us that needs any check and balance. Okay, which and, is weird because it hasn't worked anywhere. No, it hasn't. And it's always led to even greater evils than the evil they were fighting. Yeah. And so, yeah, bad as the Tsar's Russia was, mm. Stalin's Russia was worse if you asked the Russian people. Mm. And, yeah, so I guess, I guess as Australians we can be uh, very happy that we haven't been through that kind of tumultuous revolution. The biggest thing we probably had was the Eureka Stockade. That's yeah. probably the, the biggest yeah. revolt we've had. 60 malcontents. 60 malcontents, although there was there was quite a, a bit of a ruckus at the MCG when they raised the price of the MCG pie to $15. I think that, $15? That nearly You're led, joking. That nearly led to a revolution. I feel like starting revolution. <laughs> I'd start no, a revolution. 15 bucks. Yeah, we demand $5 meat pies Jeez, I, or else. Wow. I don't think our international audience knows that when you eat a meat pie, it's quite a skill. Yeah. Because you've got to bite into the meat pie and suck it at the same time. It's the, ta you, it's the taste of freedom, Scott. It is the taste, the taste of freedom. taste of freedom. Brown meat liquidy sauce in your pie. Freedom. So there we go, folks. Conservatism at its best allows change but secures the goods that are fundamental to humanity. So for that reason... I'm going to stick with King Charles III. Long live the king. Well, we've been talking about the kingdom of God and eschatology. We've got a, we've got a few books we can recommend to you. Uh, number one for me has to be Anti Rights Surprised by Hope. Uh, this is Anti Wright's best selling book. That's a big claim. That is a big claim because he sold a lot yeah, of books and a lot of good books too. Yeah. So uh, if you want to know why this is his best selling one, read it because he's got some of the best discussions of the kingdom of God, of the future state, heaven hell, uh, the final judgment. You've got some of the best stuff you'll ever read. Very simple, easy to read, and it's a very popular book. Mike, can I ask you, he tends to be a very biblically grounded author. Is that the same that you'd find yeah, in this definitely. book? Yeah, he, definitely. He's definitely thinking about the kingdom of God, uh, not as the immortality of the soul or, you know, people going to heaven when they die and playing volleyball with the angels, but he, he has a theology of new creation, okay, and, and that's what he brings to the forefront. Uh, the second book is by Patrick Schreiner. That's The Kingdom of God and the Glory of the Cross. This is a little bit book. It's only a short book, yeah. uh, but it's deeply packed. Um, I would call this an American appropriation of an Australian theologian called Graham Goldsworthy. Now, we know Graham Goldsworthy, you know, he said uh, the kingdom of God is God's reign over God's people in God's place. Uh, Patrick Schreiner kind of picks up on that uh, a bit. And uh, he, he basically explains, you know, what the kingdom of God is, how it relates to the cross, um, the reign of God, and that kind of a thing. So uh, that, that's a good little short summary of a biblical theology of the kingdom of God that I would recommend. Just let me ask you, Mike, in terms of audiences for the books, who would you recommend would read each book? So, for example, a small group leader, would they read Shriners or anti rights For small groups, I'd probably recommend uh, Wright's book yep. since I think it really does resonate with lay readers. So you could do it for an adult Bible study 
or something like that. Um, I mean, Patrick Schwein is too. I mean, it's not really technical. It's pretty simple. You could you could use it either for an adults um, study group, or you know maybe first century Bible college or seminary. So they're they're both pretty good if you're starting to study the Gospels. Uh, or you know biblical eschatology. Um, Schreiner's book is pretty good too, but okay. I'm yeah, I'm pretty happy to recommend both of them as a good place to start a study of the kingdom of God, eschatology, that kind of thing. So, Mike, we've been talking about Aussie theology, the kingdom of God, and the fact that Aussies are willing to talk about the hard things. Yep. There is a book I'd like to review, which has one of the most striking covers a book will ever have. Yep. Now, what's helpful about this book is that it it's a discussion of death. And what's great about it is it talks about what it means to die biologically, what it means uh, to die existentially, the value of death and choice over death. So if you're someone who's working in health at all or chaplaincy and you need to have a robust understanding of what death involves, its goods and its lamentable aspects, Marianne Cutter's Reader is a very helpful group uh, book to read in a group. So I recommend reading this with probably four to six friends, meeting every three weeks to discuss chapters. I've done the same with my reading group and we've all benefited heaps. I'm going to be using this in my ethics class and my apologetics class this semester. Okay. Well, that sounds like a pretty good recommendation. Yeah. Well, bringing things to a close, I think I can say enjoy coffee while you can because there'll be no coffee in heaven, my friends. Uh, in addition, we've looked at, you know, what is the kingdom of God? We've looked at Australian identity and we've jumped onto the um, monarchy versus republic debate. And I think we've agreed that all decent Christian people undoubtedly would support a constitutional undoubtedly. monarchy. Undoubtedly. Actually, no, you, you may have very good reasons for supporting a uh, republic. That's okay. Jesus still loves you. And that's all from us from this week. I uh, will look forward to seeing you next time. Scott, always a pleasure to chat with you. Great to see you, Mike. See you all around next time. <laughs>